You know, before we pray, I just want to mention, um, you know, going to church is like uh, some people go to church for all kinds of different reasons. Some some people go to church because they like the pastor and it's it's they like to hear the pastor. Some people go to church because uh, they like singing. Some people go to church for so many different reasons. Um, and I was having a conversation with with our pastor, Pastor Ed, today, and uh, I, I just hope that the reason why we go to church is to see the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and and it's never we never leave from church thinking, man, that guy really knows how to talk, or that lady really knows how to sing, or you know those people can really play the drums. You know, I just hope that. In our church, the focus is always Jesus and his Holy Spirit and not ever how good something sounds or how great something, how funny something was um, because those things are, are just men and their talent. And what we want and the reason why we're a church is for Jesus and we want to see him. Uh, so when we pray at the beginning of service, you know, I want to always be asking that the Holy Spirit would use, uh, use the word and would fill us with this Holy Spirit. So would you guys join me in praying for that? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we do come uh, only to you, Lord God. We're not coming to hear a philosophy of how to do things. We're not coming for anything except you, Jesus. We just want to talk to you. We want to hear from you. Lord, this is about relationship and engaging with the God who did create the whole universe and, and created us from nothing, God, from, from dust, God. And yet you desire to know us and for us to know you. So, Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. I ask, Jesus, that you would um, just set aside my flesh, set aside my ideas, set aside my thoughts, and, Lord, let your Spirit control my thoughts. And God, for every single person in here, I pray that our eyes of our understanding would be opened. God, there is spiritual warfare going on around us. There is um, an enemy that wants us to be distracted and defeated. But your spirit is so much more powerful, God. And we thank you for that. And we, we need your spirit to open our eyes. Lord, just like... Um, In the Old Testament, they, they saw how um, they, were, they were surrounded by a whole group of enemies. And yet, uh, they, when, when Elisha prayed, the eyes of his servant were opened. And he could see the, the many thousands of angels that were surrounding them. So in that same way, I pray that our eyes would be opened. And that we would get to see the spiritual truths that you want us to see tonight. And apply them. So, God, we ask these things directly from you, Jesus, the one who died on the cross for us. And we believe that you will be so faithful to answer these prayers right now. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. We're in Galatians chapter 3, and I'm very excited for what the Lord has for us tonight. And I'm honored that every single one of you have uh, journeyed out on a Wednesday night when it's super hot outside, uh, and it's not even that much cooler in here, but... Um, the Lord is going to reward you for seeking him. I know that. Uh, so last week, we read Galatians 3, 1 through 3. And I want to just read verse 3 again for us. 
says, Are you so foolish then, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And we talked about how that means that they had begun their relationship with God by believing. But then they thought that the way to become a better Christian was by efforts and trying hard and working hard. And I wanted to read you guys a, a, a little synopsis, maybe, of what we talked about last week. And it says, uh, an article in, in a local newspaper told about an inmate who, in a penitentiary who had lived all but 16 months of his 39 years in various institutions. Born in a women's reformatory of a convicted mother, he spent the first 14 years of his life in prison as a ward of the court. When he was released, he committed a succession of crimes and he explained his behavior by saying, I don't know how to live on the outside. My home is inside. I want to stay there for the rest of my life. This unfortunate man found security in his bondage. Likewise, adhering to external religious restraints can be easier than serving God in the liberty of the spirit. This is why some first century believers in Galatia wanted to live under the Mosaic law, even though in Christ they were no longer bound by it. Apparently, they discovered that freedom can be frightening. Many Christians follow a similar pattern. They look for security by placing themselves under a legalistic system that calls for no more than good external behavior. In many instances, the do's and don'ts are merely cultural and not biblical. Although their outward conduct may be honorable, they're actually escaping into a subtle kind of bondage. Obedience to accepted standards has value only when our actions reflect a changed heart and express gratitude to God for his salvation. We must not hide behind walls of legalism to avoid the freedom of life on the outside. And that was from a, uh, a guy, Mr. Dehan, in Our Daily Bread. It's a devotional thing. Uh, and that brings us to where we're at tonight. In our, in our series titled War on Legalism, uh, we've come to a really neat place. Uh, where Paul is, is taking them into their experiences and how their experiences will prove to them that they're free. They're free in Jesus. And then he's going to prove to them by Scripture that they're free in Jesus. So we're going to look at those two things tonight. So Galatians 3, verse 4 is where we're going to start. He says, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And again, I'm going to read to you guys the New Living Translation of that same thing because it's got a real good um, emphasis. It says, have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? Surely it wasn't in vain. So have you experienced? So that word suffered can also be translated experienced. So here's the question. Have you ever gotten that feeling that you had wasted something that was really valuable? I have dreams like this all the time where I am watching TV and the numbers are popping across the screen. I've had this dream multiple times and I'm holding the ticket in my hand and the numbers match and the number matches and the number matches 
And then all of a sudden I realized I won the lottery and I'm super excited about it. And so um, I go down and, and in my dream, I'm like running. But, you know, those dreams where you're running, but you can't run and you're like floating in the air or something or or you're stuck in mud or something like that. There's always some thing that's keeping me from getting there. And then finally, sometimes I'll even wake up and I was like, that was a frustrating dream. Let me try to finish the dream. So I'll go back to sleep and I'll, I'll be OK. So I'll, I'll put myself in the dream. I'll, OK, so now I'm at the, the lottery redemption place. I don't even know what that place is. Where do you win the million dollars? So like a lottery store that you go to. Yeah. 7-Eleven just gives you the million dollars. OK, so in my dream, it's some it's like a store like the lottery. But I guess that's not real. So hence this being a dream. Um, I get to the store and I always every single time I have forgotten the ticket or I have lost the ticket. Um, you ever lost a $20 bill that you know you had? Oh, that feeling of losing something that was valuable is just so frustrating to me. One time when I was uh, in junior high, I did a lot of weird things in junior high. Were you guys awkward in junior high? Man, Julie's hand was like, yes! Uh, I can picture that. <laughs> I was really awkward in junior high. My wife met me when I was 12 years old, and um, she wasn't my wife then, but we were, we were met when we were 12, and uh, I don't know how, but she, she liked me, and I liked her, and I thought she was cute. Um, but we were both a little bit awkward, huh? I think I was more awkward than you. Um, but I did some weird things, and I always... I kind of had these weird... So one time I went to Las Vegas with my parents. And in Vegas, they have so many things that you can just buy that are weird, you know. And this, when I was there, the big thing was these puppets that they looked like a monkey. And, and you put your hand in it and you, had the, you controlled the arm with one arm. And I thought they were so cool. And I had like a life savings of like $42. And, uh, and I'm, I wasn't very good. I'm still not very good at at saving my money. But um, when I was there, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I, was, I got infatuated by this monkey puppet thing. And so I spent all my money, because it was like $44. My mom gave me like two bucks. To, and I bought it. And I remember I, I, I got it, and I played with it for about five minutes, and then got bored of it and never played with it again. Never used it again. I thought I was going to be the coolest kid. And then I got home and I was like, this is a puppet. What am I doing? Um, <laughs> don't tell Brandon I said that. But, <laughs> oh, that's going to be good. Anyway, um, I, I just, and it sat on my dresser for years as I was growing up as a constant reminder, reminder that I wasted my life savings on this dumb puppet that I literally never used and that feeling just like got ingrained every time i looked at it i was like that was so dumb of me to buy that puppet and it i had that feeling that i had wasted something that was really valuable and even 42 bucks at the time it was really valuable to me at the time and paul right here wonders the same thing about the church in galatia because they had received the gifts of the spirit they received the gift of the Spirit. The actual Holy Spirit of God had come to live inside them. 
by faith. But yet he's saying that what they had received would amount to no lasting value because of how they were acting. Because they were trying to walk by the law and not walk by faith. And he's like, have you really experienced all this for nothing? Did God, are you putting the Holy Spirit on the shelf and trying to be a Christian in your own efforts? And that difference was just like, you can tell, Paul's like heartbreaking. He's like, have you suffered so much? Have you experienced so much? Was it in vain? I just don't want my life to be in vain. I don't think any of us do. And so we have, that's why we have to be able to recognize when legalism has crept into our own hearts. Because it's so tricky and deceitful. And we think, oh, I'm just trying really hard. And that should be our first key when we hear that word try. So his argument now is from their own experience. Did they get filled with the Holy Spirit when they believed? Yes. How? Well, they heard the word and believed it. And so God gave them the Holy Spirit. They were pagans. And then they became Christians, filled with the Spirit. They had a heart change. They had a new life inside them. And that's the biggest change that happens when you're a believer, is you get a new heart overflowing with new desires and a new life. And that's this valuable treasure that Paul is saying they got, was this new life, a new heart. John 7.38, I'm going to read it to you. It says, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Paul is using this event, this experience, to show them the error of their ways. And again, their problem is that they were trying to please God in their own way instead of his way. They were trying to perfect themselves through the human effort that we've been talking about. And they were looking for the resources to live this Christian life in their own performance. When, and the, they thought, this was their thought, that the real spiritual riches were to be earned by those who were worthy enough to attain them. And what have we talked about before? That the Holy Spirit is not some prize given to the best performer. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Paul asked them to examine the source of the Spirit's work. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So the question is, where does the Holy Spirit come from? If that's the, the source of this Christian life, then where does it come from? Well, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 7. We've looked at this before, but it's, it's very worth us to, to look at it again. John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If he, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, the Holy Spirit, the answer to our question, where does the Holy Spirit come from? It comes from Jesus. That's where it comes from. 
And how do you qualify for him to give you this Holy Spirit? How do you qualify? Well, he says here, you got to be thirsty. You got to be thirsty. You got to have a spiritual need, a desire to be filled. How many of you guys have a, a spiritual thirst that you want to be filled? Maybe it manifests itself in, in being uncomfortable in the place you're at with your job, with your marriage, with your life. You just you have this spiritual need. Maybe you just know that you're not putting your best effort forward at your job and, and, and you understand that it's a spiritual problem. It's not about trying harder. There's something going on inside you. And that spiritual need is your qualification to ask Jesus for help. He doesn't say you have to be pretty, which is awesome for most of us in here. He doesn't say you have to be smart, which I think is awesome for all of us in here. You don't have to have any qualifications except a thirst, a need. And then it's the second question I have or observation I have about this is to what extent does he satisfy someone who asks him? How far does he go to satisfy well, what does he say? He says, like rivers, when all you asked for was a drink. You guys ever been up in the mountains and been super hot and maybe been hiking and, and forgot your water? I've done that a few times. And uh, you're not supposed to, but sometimes there's just a, a cold river that just looks so delicious. And if you're up high enough, maybe you can drink it and not get Girardia or don't do this, but I have before <laughs> just been so thirsty that I, that I took and I drank of a mountain stream that was basically coming out of the rocks, and it was so delicious. And uh, that refreshment is what Jesus is offering, but it's not just a cupful or a handful or even a canteen full. It's like rivers, he said. You won't be able to contain how much he wants to fill you up with satisfaction, with blessing. And if you just understand that he's the one that's giving it and come to him to be filled, that's the only requirement is that you come. What did Jesus say? If anyone first, let him come to church to drink. That's not what he said. If anyone thirsts, let him come to the priest. Nope. If anyone thirsts, let him turn on his TV. None of those things. And yet those are the things that tend to be the world's answer to, find the, to quench the thirst inside their heart and their soul. But he says, come to me. No one else. Just come to me. That's it. Maybe you thought church was going to offer you some, something different, something smart. And all we're telling is you is Jesus. And that's all we're ever going to tell you. He's the, he's the one. He fixes it. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. It's a little bit to the right of Galatians, the next book. Still keep your finger in Galatians. We're going to go back. But in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it's a really great verse. It says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is excess or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. 
So Paul here, in his letter to the Galatians, he's talking about the same issue of being filled with the Spirit. And he commands you. It's a command to be filled with the Spirit. This is how ministry works. And this is why we talked right before I started teaching and prayed tonight that we wanted this to be a Spirit-filled time. Because God commands it to be. If we come into church and we're trying to figure things out, we've already messed up. We've already fallen. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. So you guys should all know. So my job then, my ministry right now, is to explain to you or make sure that every single one of you knows how that happens. How do you get filled with the Spirit? And we talked about the question, where does the Spirit come from? It comes from Jesus. So you all know now, it comes from Jesus. And how do you qualify? You've got to be thirsty. Well, that's easy. I think we all qualify. And then... That were commanded here then, be filled with the Spirit. And, this, and the, the actual Greek there says, be always being filled with the Spirit. So it's in this, this tense that kind of is awkward in English, but it, it proves a point, and it goes to the point to say that it's a continual thing on a daily basis. This isn't just the one time when you got saved. This is our life on a daily basis. This is how the Christian life works. This is how ministry should work. This is how church should work. Every time we go to church, it should be the Holy Spirit filling us. The Holy Spirit filling us every day. It's a daily process of asking, waiting, believing, and receiving. And then working really hard. No, not that last part. But yet that's what we think. We, we constantly fall back into that. So the how-to never changes. It's always the same. You ask and depend. You ask You will be filled if you ask in dependence upon Jesus. You will. And so when we prayed before this study, I did ask in dependence. I I depended upon the Lord. And I believe with all my heart that he heard my prayer and he's given us his Holy Spirit right now. We're living this right now that we're talking about in reality. So there's two relational realities that I want to draw our attention to when it when it talks about asking the Lord in dependence. The first one is humility, that in order to ask him for something, you have to admit that you need something from him. And I think that's the part that sometimes we get tripped up on. Like, do I, did I really need the Holy Spirit to just drive to work today? In reality, yes, you do. And the amount of humility you have will show itself in how often you're asking the Lord for his help because humility is your dependence upon him and the second relational reality is faith you're depending upon him that's what faith is you're depending upon him so humility on one side faith on the other side are the two aspects that we can focus on And maybe you've been thinking, okay, you're talking so much about legalism and works and what I'm not supposed to do and don't think about works and don't think about trying and don't think about efforts. So what do I think about? Yeah, okay, Jesus. So you've told me, think about Jesus. Okay, but how do I engage with this? How do I get grace? How do I get it? How do I get the Holy Spirit? And it's a great question. That's a logical train. After you realize legalism is so bad, 
works salvation is so bad, then you're obviously, okay, I want to get this thing that God wants to give. So what do I need to improve on? What do I need to change? And the, the answer is right there. Humility and faith, which are not works. They are attitudes. They are who you are. They are a position of the heart. Humility, depending upon him. These things are, are the, the things that we can improve. These are the things that you can decide. I am going to grow in my faith. And so the Bible even tells us how we grow in, your, in our faith. Do you know what it says? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So reading your Bible will grow your faith. Humility is grown through prayer. Because you can't be coming to the Lord and not be coming to the Lord. You, when The very act of praying is an act of humility. So the more we pray and the more we read our Bible, we are spiritually engaging with God. That's the practical way that we can engage. But we've got to be so careful because then we'll go and our fleshly mind will say, all right, well, I prayed 10 minutes and I read my Bible for 10 chapters, so I'm going to get the Holy Spirit because of my works. And all of a sudden, it's, it's worthless now because you lost it. You lost it. And so there's that fine line between our heart wanting to know Jesus and spend time with him and our heart wanting to work for rewards. It's, just, it's such, such a fine line. So, but he asked them, he says, was, was it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith back in Galatians? So go ahead and turn back to Galatians where we're at. And again, in verse 5, he says, He that does it, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's kind of presenting this choice to them. Paul, he's repeating the phrase from verse 2 that we looked at last week because he wants to emphasize that they have a choice. Which will it be? Do you believe you're blessed by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Will you earn what you deserve uh, will you earn and deserve your blessing from God, or will you believe and receive it? And there's two aspects I just want to point to real quick on this. This speaks to those who see a lack of blessing in their life. Why? Not from a lack of devotion, not because they haven't earned enough, but because they are not putting their faith, their joyful, confident expectation in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this also speaks to those who are wonderfully blessed. So if you don't have anything, this applies to you. And if you're being wonderfully blessed, it applies to you. For them, it was uh, to be proud is to be blind, and they have not earned their blessing. Why should they take pride in it? All the more they should look to Jesus and put their expectation in him. So in both situations, whether you're experiencing great blessing or you're not experiencing blessing at all, Paul is still saying, come back to Jesus. No matter which situation you're in, come back to Jesus. So now he's going to move on. And in verse 6, he's going to take them, he's going to bring up Abraham. And he's going to take them all the way back to the book of Genesis. And he's going to show them from their own scriptures that Abraham proves Paul's point. He says, verse 6, he says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. 
And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, "In, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. We should be careful uh, to, to say that Abraham's faith did not make him righteous. Abraham's God made him righteous through faith. Faith isn't a magic potion, magic word that we do. Again, faith isn't a substance. Faith isn't a work. Faith is a trust upon a God who does great things, which is awesome. Um, his faith was not his righteousness, but God rewarded his exercise of faith, and it was reckoned upon him or imputed the righteousness uh, of him in whom he believed. And that was a quote from Poole. Um, so let's, uh, let's see here. So Abraham is now our example of how God blesses us all the same way. Paul is, is talking about Genesis chapter 15 here, where Abraham um, where he spoke with Abraham and Abraham believed him and it says that he uh, was accounted righteousness for believing him and this was before Abraham, Abraham had done anything righteous for God. Uh, so the book of Romans explains this even a little bit deeper. So I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 4, verse 9 through 13. It says, Does this blessedness them come, aco- come upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while he was still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who are not only are of circumcision, but also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So, All that was saying, Abraham pleased God and received a blessing of being right with God before he did anything good. Before he did anything good. And that's so key. You know, we sing the song with the kids. You guys heard it? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm. And I remember singing that when I was in high school, and I had no idea what I was ta- what it was talking about. I was like, wasn't Abraham like some guy in the Old Testament that had killed his son or something, and God stopped him? I I didn't understand what it was talking about. And honestly, even studying this this week was like eye-opening that song. I'm like, man, that song is awesome. (laughs) It's exactly what we're talking about today. Um, That Abraham is is not... He is the father of the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. But more than that, he's the father of those who engage with God on faith and are made righteous by that. 
He's the father of all those. And that's, and that's what, why we claim him as our father. It's really neat. See, the Jews who were deceiving this church here, the Judaizers, you remember we've been talking about them? Those Judaizers claimed that Abraham was their father and that they, they had, like, Abraham in their back pocket. Like, you guys really need to become Jews before you can become Christians. Being a Christian is fine. That's fine if you want to believe Jesus paid for you on the cross. But you've got to become Jews first. And so they had this whole deal with circumcision. And we've talked about that. And I brought in my knife and I offered if any, but it didn't have, we don't need to do that anymore. We didn't need that. And so, but the, the Jews were very much of the uh, impression, the idea that Abraham was their father. And that was a big deal that God promised to bless Abraham. But God's promise was to bless Abraham, th- those who believed him like Abraham did. And so the church was mostly, this church here in Galatia was mostly filled with Gentiles. And God had foreseen this and told, the whole, in the Bible, he had foreseen it and told us about it. But it was still a big mystery to the Jews. They still had a very hard time culturally understanding that the Gentiles could bypass the whole Jewish system, bypass all the laws, and go straight in and become a son of Abraham. So some believe in God. The Jews, the Judaizers, they believed in God. Abraham believed God. He believed God. And that's the difference. Generally speaking, ancient rabbis did not really even admire Abraham's faith. They believed he was so loved by God because he was thought to have kept the law hundreds of years before it was even given. For, those, for these and other reasons, then, Paul brought up Abraham, and it would have been a complete surprise to his opponents. Paul's emphasis, uh, who believed that Abraham proved their point, so Paul's emphasis on Abraham's faith must have come as a complete surprise to the Galatians, too. And that's a quote from uh, Henry Morris. So Paul, again, uses the skillful warfare of his words, and he uses the word of God as his weapon. Um, so he says, back in our verse here, he says, Therefore know, in verse 7, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And uh, Cole is a commentator, and he says, It's always possible that we should translate Huayoyai, uh, Abraham, which is the words here, uh, not so much as children or sons of Abraham, but translated Real Abrahams. Real Abrahams. And that's really interesting. Because what Paul is saying here is it's faith that works and not genetics. Faith, not genetics. Genetics aren't what God is looking for. He's looking for faith. Matthew 3.9, he says, And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. How much clearer can he be that genetics didn't matter? When the Holy Spirit's given, it doesn't matter what kind of, where, where you're from, who your father was, or anything like that. And it also shows us that everyone has to have their own faith in God. That you're not saved because you were baptized as a kid, or as an infant, or as a child, or because your parents walk with the Lord, or because you go to church. 
Everyone has to have their own faith with God. And the second thing is that there's no second-class Christians. We're all just as much children of God as the apostles and the Jews who believed. We're all in the same boat. You have just as much access to God's Holy Spirit as Paul did. Isn't that crazy? I, I love that. And also, the person who has wasted his life for 40 years in drugs and alcohol and selfish living, when he comes to know the Lord, he has just as much access to be a son of God as the one who's followed Jesus since he was five. And it's, it's so true. It's awesome, the, the, the love that God has there. So, he says, So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Henry Morris says, those who are of faith are those whose characteristic is faith. It is not that they sometimes have an impulse to believe, impulse to believe, but rather that their believing is a constant attitude. Faith is a characteristic for them. So what do we have faith in? You know, from marriages that are falling apart, what is your faith in? Is it in your idiot spouse? <laughs> that's That's seems to be like just be jabbing you every moment. You know, look at Abraham. He didn't him and Sarah really didn't have the greatest marriage. <laughs> have you guys read the book of Genesis? Cuz like a big portion of it is Abraham lying about his wife. <laughs> and it seems like everywhere they went, he's like you're really pretty. So tell everyone you're my sister. Which was actually true. Because she was his half-sister that he married. And so, all the time, everywhere they go, they made this little covenant that they were going to lie. And he was always getting them in trouble. And, like, the Pharaoh is, like, wanting to bring her and to be his wife. And then God strikes them with diseases. And then, like, Abimelech wants him to be his wife and this other king. And God strikes his whole country with diseases. And every time, God is like, what are you doing, Abraham? See, Abraham had a messed up marriage too. But yet, what, what was God doing? Abraham's life was a life that was characterized by faith. From the very moment he, started, he heard from the Lord, he did believe the Lord. But it doesn't mean that Abraham didn't mess up along the way. And I find that really, really encouraging. Because how many of you do have a life that's characterized by faith, yet you have really messed up. Yeah. Yet, Abraham, throughout his life, did learn to trust in God more and more and more. You know, he, when, when God um, came to him and he said, you know, in your, this messed up marriage, I'm going to use your messed up marriage to bring the Messiah into the world, to create a whole nation. And Abraham's like, all right, I believe you. But I'm going to try to do this out of my own efforts first. Let me just try it first, God. I, th- I got this, right? It's like your kid who like, wants to take a bat in baseball against like, a major league pitcher. And he's like, I got this, Dad. And you're like, you sure, buddy? That guy's throwing like 100 miles an hour. He's like, I got this. He's standing up there. 
And the, the pitch comes and it's so fast that he's scared to death and he, he totally messes up and throws the bat up in the air and it falls and hits him on the head. That's Abraham. Because you know the story. He, out of his own efforts, slept with another woman to make the promise of God happen. Not a good idea. So, they had a kid. But that kid is a picture of the flesh, of the works of the flesh. And the results of that has been war and terrible things for the people of God for thousands of years. Because from that child came the whole Arab race, who God loves. God loves them. But as a whole, as in general, they have been war and a thorn in the side of the Jewish race. So, after this mistake, God says, no, that wasn't the way you're supposed to do it. That wasn't faith. Abraham, you're a man of faith. What are you doing? And so he gets a second chance. Man, I love when I get a second chance. And a third chance. And a fourth chance. Because I'm Because I need him. So it's so hard for me to just understand that it has to be by faith. So Abraham, he says, okay, I, I believe you, God. I believe. Even his wife struggled with it. But they had a messed up marriage anyway. So... Maybe it's your job that you have a, a real hard time. And maybe it's that messed up marriage and you think, man, it's so hard for me to live by faith in this area. Maybe it's your job. Abraham had an interesting situation with his job and location. God shows up, chapter 12 of Genesis, and says, Abraham, go to a place I'm going to show you later. Leave everything and Go. Talk about not knowing where you're going to work, not knowing where you're going to get your sustenance from, not knowing how you're going to provide for your family, and having to live by faith. And yet Abraham jumped right up and did it. Wow. The last time you got fired, was that your your attitude? It's a struggle. It's a struggle to have that faith. But Abraham did. So in that situation, it's like, wow. And then you get to the part in Abraham's life where God said, Abraham, you know that son that I promised to you? That son who you love so much that you were old and Sarah was old and you guys had this baby boy and you love him so much. Isaac, you know that boy? And Abraham's, yeah, God, you're going to bring the whole Messiah through this child like you promised. And I believe it. He said, Abraham... In chapter 22, Genesis, I want you to go up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. Kill him on an altar to me. And Abraham's like, are you sure? No. (laughs) Abraham believed that God was still going to be true to his word. So what did Abraham really believe? He believed that God was going to raise his son from the dead. God could have done that. But that's really what Abraham was fully committed to the Lord at this point in his life. And his works, his actions showed his faith. And so he walked up that hill and he had the knife in his hand and he was just about to sacrifice the thing he loved the very most. And God said, stop. 
And the, the prophecy came true that Abraham had said just a few minutes before where he said God will provide himself a sacrifice. And so God gave him a, there was a ram caught right there. And so they sacrificed the ram instead. And God said, I know that you believe me. And now you know that you trust me as well. So maybe in your life today, you, your life is characterized by faith. You're living your life by faith. But you still have a messed up marriage. And you still don't have a job. <laughs> or there's a really precious thing that you're holding on to that God is asking you and saying, do you really need to hold on to that thing that much? Or can I, can I have that? Can I have that? God's desire isn't to take things away from us. God's desire is for us to be faithful, be filled with faith, trust Him. No, maybe there's that one thing in your guys' life tonight that is more important to you than trusting the Lord. If sometimes bad things happen or, or we go through a trial and we're like, why is this happening? And I think so many times it's to help us realize that we didn't need that thing anyway. Take this back to the beginning where we talked. I hate, I hate that feeling of having wasted something. Yet that's exactly what I do when I hold on to something and don't offer it up to the Lord and, and live, it, live by faith in that area. When I when so want this thing, and it can be a good thing. In my life, it's been, I wanted to be in ministry. And that's a good thing. I went through years where God asked me day after day after day to put that desire and that blessing on the altar and offer it up to Him. And to say, Lord, I trust you in this thing. And in the right time, at the right place, He took care of it. And I have a testimony that I can tell you that. And there's other things in my life that go that same way. See, we're, we're so much like Abraham, guys. As we're walking and learning to walk by faith, we fall, we get second chances, and then we come to this point where God's like, what is it that you're holding on to? I remember in college, one quick story. I was going to college, and I was really into music, and I was like, oh, I love my guitars. And I, I remember packing up my car, and I, I didn't even have room in my car for all my guitars. And I was taken to college. I was just going to keep them in my car or whatever. And it was a big deal for me. And God spoke to me one day, and he asked me to place a guitar on an altar to him. And what that looked like practically is he put someone in my mind and said, I want you to go give your really nice guitar to this guy and just give it to him. And I, it was as clear as anything I've ever experienced in my life. I knew that's what God wanted me to do. And so I did. I, I went and I, I gave him that guitar. And I didn't play guitar at college. I spent two years just seeking the Lord. And after that, and I was never like a worship leader. And I, couldn't, I was a terrible singer. And I was just, it was weird. I don't even know why I was so into music, but I was. And 
it was this big heart thing with me. When I put it on the altar, though, at a time later in my life, someone gave me a guitar. And God had worked in my heart to teach me how to lead worship. And that was a really practical thing in my life of offering something up to the Lord. You know? And so I just wanted to share that little story about that. So, if there's something in your life that God has brought into your mind as I've been talking that you're holding on to, Paul is teaching us here in Galatians that Abraham shows us, the scriptures teach us, that God is after your faith. God, God is very concerned about your faith. He's more concerned about your faith than how comfortable you are, than what house you live in, and what car you drive. He's more concerned about your faith than even your own children. He's very concerned about your faith. He wants nothing to get in the way of him and your faith. That's how important it is to him. Not your works. Your works aren't that to God, but your faith is. So let's pray and ask the Lord to um, take away those things that are a barrier between us having faith and us holding on to it. So let's, let's pray about that. Jesus, um, I don't even know why our Bible study went that direction tonight, but I trust you. I trust you completely that this, whatever reason you had for having us talk about this, Lord, is is perfect. And God, that there's, um, I know things in my life still that I need to grow in trusting you in. Lord, I pray for um, everything in our life here, our lives, that everything uh, we would test and hold on to what is good to. And we would test everything and hold on to that which is good. That which causes us to, to have faith in you or that which we are placing our faith and trust in you. And God, if there's an area in our life where we're, we're thinking that we got it under control, Lord, teach us humility in those places. Because we don't have it under control. Our flesh is far too wicked. And the enemy is far too cunning for us to think that we stand of our own efforts. But Lord, you say that the man who puts his trust in you would never be put to shame and and we won't be confounded by the enemy when we put on the armor of God and when we put our trust in you. So Lord, we, we do put our trust in you, Jesus. No matter what we're going through, Lord, we trust you. That is for our good that we're going through it and that you, our God, are going to take us through these things. Lord, we need you. There's no one else on earth that we desire but you. Jesus, we thank you so much for your great love and for everyone here. In your name we pray. Amen.